Uh, Matthew 6. <clears throat> We've come to prayer today in our Down to Earth series. Let me read for us uh, verse 7 through verse 13, Matthew 6. Jesus is speaking and he's instructing his disciples and there are large crowds listening and he says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If we're going to get down to earth, if we're going to get really practical about living the Christian life, we're going to have to talk about prayer. But prayer is the study and practice of a lifetime. Ten lifetimes. Prayer is like a great mountain that reaches up to the sky. You can spend days just traveling around the base of it. And wherever you are in that journey, when you look up, you'll see something different, something beautiful, and something challenging. If we're going to get down to earth, we're going to need to climb the mountain of prayer. Prayer is so much a part of a down-to-earth Jesus follower's life that one could almost say there is no Christian life apart from prayer. A Christian without prayer is like a human without breath. It just is inconceivable. Now, there's too much ground for us to cover to get all the way around the mountain of prayer. So my goal in this series is not to cover all the ground, but to get us prepared to begin the ascent. If I succeed in what I'm trying to do, we will be praying people more than we are now. Preparation alone is a major project, sort of like mountain climbing. If you plan to climb Mount Everest, you can expect it to take about two months. Two months. You'll spend one month just climbing up and down, setting up camps with food and fuel and oxygen. It'll take about 40 days from the time that you step into base camp until the time you reach the peak. But reaching the peak of prayer takes longer. It takes a lifetime. Today I want to lead us around to a certain spot, certain vista of prayer that not everyone gets to see. Most of us look at prayer the way visitors to Yosemite look at Half Dome. Have you been there? Man, it's impressive. It's beautiful. But most people see it from the scenic overlook. The drive-by. Some people, though, they hike to Half Dome. Some people climb it. They get an entirely different perspective from the people sitting over in the scenic overlook. And that's kind of what I want to do with prayer. I want to take us to some place we don't usually go and look at it in a different way. Most of us view prayer from the same vantage point throughout our days. And it's something like this. I'm busy doing life. Church, work, play, home, health, relationships, and more. I'm busy doing life, and sometimes I have needs. Sometimes I've got problems. And at those times, I go to a gracious Heavenly Father who's able to help me. Now... That is true. And that is a lovely way, place to look at prayer. 
I'm not going to criticize it. God is our Father. He desires our best. He protects us from harm. He provides for our needs. We can view prayer from that perspective with much benefit and pleasure. But there are other vistas. So I want to take us around the bend so we can view prayer from another spot, different perspective. And, and, and there are many, many more than we're going to talk about today. But from this spot I want to take us to, we can see something. We can see that people who receive repeated and, and sometimes remarkable answers to prayer all have something in common. They are engaged in service to the kingdom of God. They are actively committed to the mission of the kingdom of God. Their goal is not a white picket fence and a financially comfortable life. The people who see repeated answers over and over again to prayer are on assignment. They use prayer to requisition needed supplies. When Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, he wasn't thinking about the annual school of the prophet's picnic. He was concerned about what God was doing. When Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still, he wasn't trying to meet an office deadline. He was on assignment. When the church prayed in Acts chapter 4, you remember, and God answered by shaking the place and filling them with the Holy Spirit? They weren't looking for a spiritual thrill. They were on assignment for the kingdom of God. It's the person on active duty, serving God in daily life, whose home is a kingdom of God outpost that sees repeated answers to prayer. Prayer belongs to those people. It was given them so they could communicate with headquarters. When, when you see prayer, when you come around to this clearing and you look up and you see prayer, suddenly things make sense. If I, if I were to call the 110th attack wing of the Air National Guard up in Battle Creek, if I were to call them and, and request an MQ-1 predator for air support for my mission, they would ask the nature of my mission. And let's say I answered, I'm going in. I am going in to Walmart for milk. I doubt very much they would send support. They might send the police, but they wouldn't send support. Now, if I were a general or a colonel, or even a lieutenant or a sergeant on mission in Helmand province in Afghanistan, and I called for air support, I might very well get it. So here's the thing. People who frequently, and that's what we're talking about, that's what we see from this view of prayer, who frequently see answers to prayer, and sometimes remarkable ones, pray about more than comfort for their private life. They are on mission. They're serving God as the advance brigade for the kingdom. Every day they think about, they look for, and they act on behalf of God's kingdom. And their prayers, even when they're asking for some R&R, God, I need some rest, are still the prayers of a KI, not a GI. Not government issue, but kingdom issue, men and women and children. Now, you might be thinking, this is the old bait and switch. 
You told us we're going to see what people who get answers to prayer have in common. So we're expecting some kind of secret. And then you say the people who get answers aren't using prayer to make their lives more comfortable, but to advance God's mission. In other words, all you're saying is that we have to live for God and not ourselves if we want to see frequent answers to prayer. You got it. You're pretty smart. But this is not the bait and switch. In the very first message of this series, I told you that we're not here to be like everyone else. You're not here to be just like your neighbors. We aren't like everybody else if we belong to Jesus. We've made a commitment that other people, our neighbors, our friends, even our family, haven't made. We share a spirit that they don't share. In that first sermon, I reminded you that Christians should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. That's 2 Corinthians 5.15. And that we must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Things have changed for us. We're supposed to be different. And that is part of the plan. Paul tells the Colossians, you used to walk in these ways. You used to be like everybody else in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. You need to be different because we have been bought with a price, and so we're here to glorify God in our bodies. We're on mission. That was the first message in this series. You remember what we talked about in the second? The king with his incomparable and astounding uh, strategic planning ability has prepared good deeds for his kingdom brigade to do that will cause people who are not yet his subjects to glorify him. Prayer helps us recognize those good deeds and receive the resources that we need to do them. And you have some to do. And so prayer becomes critical. We are part of a strategic plan to usher in the future of the world. People here at Lockwood Church, part of the strategic plan to usher in the future of the world. Does that sound like megalomania? It's not because it's not our plan, it's God's. We only play a small part in his big campaign to save the earth. But he's given us prayer to resource us for our part of the mission. When we are serving God in his kingdom, we will see lots of answers to our requests. When we're not, when we use prayer the way most people use it to achieve a more comfortable, less harried, respectable life, we'll see far fewer answers. I'm not saying we won't see any. I am saying we won't see many. That's the experience of most Christians. All right, we've walked around the mountain a little. We viewed prayer from this clearing. We can see how things that we have been taught kind of fall into place from this perspective. For example, when Jesus says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it, that promise is squarely situated in the context of the strategic campaign to bring glory to his father. That's strategic. That's something God is doing through his people. When uh, James, speaking of prayer, tells his readers that they're not getting what they're asking for because they're asking with wrong motives to spend what they get on their pleasures. That's James 4 verse 3. It's because they're pursuing their own lives without reference to God's mission. They are, in effect, 
calling for air support to go to Walmart. And when they don't get it, they say, how come God doesn't answer our prayers? When John writes that we receive from him anything we ask, 1 John 3.20, our asking grows right out of our service to God, to the king. And why do we receive what we ask? Because, he says, we obey his commands. Now, it's not that God makes a bargain with us. So look, if you keep my Ten Commandments, and then in the fine print, the other 603 in the Old Testament, and all the ones in the New Testament, I'll give you the things you ask for. It's not like that. God doesn't make bargains. John is writing to people who he knows are on active duty. They can expect their commander to issue the requested supplies. The kind of life in which one sees answers to prayer is an adventurous life. I'm not going to say it's a comfortable one, but it's an adventurous one, sometimes a daring one. It's not a conventional, white-bred, American consumerist life. It's an all-for-Jesus-the-King life, where your home is a kingdom outpost, the church is a kingdom stronghold, and Christians are your fellow kingdom agents. Let's look at the model prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer and see if it fits into this framework. A few weeks ago, Glenn Snap gave us a beautiful perspective on this. Now we're going to kind of walk around the mountain a little bit and view it from another angle. We begin by saying, when we pray, as the Lord taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is a prayer to our Father who is also king of the coming kingdom. And we're asking that his name be revered. This prayer is raised by people who are working to prepare the world to acknowledge God as its rightful king. This is not just nice sentiment, not just spiritually evocative words. The hallowing of God's name is a critical goal in the kingdom strategy. And we know that our good deeds, the ones that God has planned for us to do, for you to do, are part of that strategy. Look at the next request. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a revolutionary request in the most literal sense of the word. You earnestly pray this prayer and you might end up on an FBI watch list. People who pray for this, do you realize what you're praying for? The overthrow of the kingdom of the world and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth and its place. People who pray this prayer long for the day when the prophecy will be true. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever. It's in that context, the context of a commitment to the establishment of God's kingdom on earth that we can pray, give us today our daily bread or our necessary bread. That's a, in Greek, that's a word that we don't actually know what it means. And so sometimes people translate it necessary, sometimes daily. So the bread of our necessity. The people Jesus is talking to are working for the kingdom to come. They need to be resourced and they're requisitioning command for what they need to fulfill their mission. Does that mean we shouldn't ask for 
what we want, only for what we need to serve the kingdom? Some people have thought so. Let's say I want to put a pool table in my basement, but I, I can't afford a new one. So should I pray about that? It, that's not connected to God's kingdom, at least not in any immediate way. Would it be wrong for me to ask? What if I want to have a fun vacation or a better paying job? Should I refrain from praying for such things because they're not strictly kingdom of God requests? Remember, this is one angle of prayer we're looking at. There are many others. And I think we can ask with a clear conscience for any good thing. The king of this kingdom, we must never forget, is also our father, and he loves us. The very first word in the Lord's Prayer, if you read it in the original language, the first word is not our. The first word is father. And it's the most important word. If he can answer yes to our requests, he will. But we understand that there might be reasons of which we are unaware that will lead him to say no, or later. Or as Glenn said, I have something better for you. In that regard, I mentioned George Mueller last week, the man who learned to pray scripture and saw many unbelievable answers to prayer. Mueller lived in the 1800s. He was born in the first decade of the 1800s. He was a missionary, preached in over 40 countries. He also established orphanages that during his lifetime cared for 100,000, more than that, orphans. Mueller once explained to someone why he started the orphan house, as it was then called. He had three reasons. The number one reason, that God may be glorified. So he wrote this out, that God may be glorified should he be pleased to furnish me with the means and it's being seen that it's not a vain thing to trust in him and that the faith of his children may thus be strengthened. Two, he wrote, the spiritual welfare of fatherless mother and motherless children and three, their temporal welfare. I think he wrote them in that order on purpose. So for these reasons, Mueller started orphanages but he was in constant need of resources to feed and clothe those children. Even way back then, he had more than a million dollars passed through his hands as he took care of these children. One morning in Bristol, England, there was no food for breakfast. So it's just one, just one occasion when he had these remarkable answers to prayer. They had no food. The children had been awakened, like always, and had dressed for school, and they were waiting for something to eat. And as some accounts go, Mueller prayed with the children asking God to provide them breakfast. Simple prayer, God, Father, we need this. Almost before he was done praying, there was a knock at the door. When he went to answer, somebody came got him, he went to answer, the local baker said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some, so I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread, and I brought it. The baker had no more than left, then when a second knock came at the door, when Mueller answered, he found a milkman whose milk cart had broken down right outside the orphanage. He needed to take all the milk cans, so this is the 1800s, horse-drawn cart, you think of those big old things of milk. He needed to take them all off the cart so that he could fix it, and he wondered if Mr. Mueller would like the milk for his children. See, he saw things like this over and over again. Why? Because he was on mission, not just for orphans, but for God. When he asked for daily bread, he did so as an agent of the kingdom of God. When he prayed, it was as if he was filling out a requisition form for supplies. 
and he knew the king would answer. Give us today our daily bread. Next request is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This one is the hardest to fit into the perspective prayer we're, we're talking about, but I believe it does fit. This whole prayer from the word our at the beginning to the word us in the last phrase reminds us we're not in this alone. It's not just me and Jesus. That's the American way of thinking. Me and Jesus, God's blessing on me. But it's not just me and Jesus. It's me and an entire advanced brigade preparing for the kingdom. And every one of us is flawed. We have all failed to follow orders at times. We've hurt each other. We've been hurt. This request, even more than the others, recognizes that we are serving with other people in God's kingdom campaign. And then the last couplet, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a prayer for guidance. It implies that we're not sitting still. We're not sitting behind our white picket fence trying to get comfortable. We're on the move in enemy-held territory, and there's danger all around. The word translated temptation is sometimes, often, actually, and perhaps in this context should be, rendered trial. See what's going on here? We're soldiers asking command to lead us around the trials, the firefights, the hot spots. We're asking to be rescued from evil, from the enemy. This request made to the king by someone serving him will be answered, and sometimes marvelously. It was in the case of Harriet Tubman. You know Harriet Tubman's story? If you don't, you ought to read it. She's a slave from Maryland who <clears throat> escaped when her owner tried to sell her and split up the family. She reached safety in Philadelphia via the Underground Railroad and then immediately turned around and went back to help others. She went back 19 times, though it would mean her life if she was caught, 19 times, helped over 300 slaves to reach freedom. And there's a whole bunch more to her story. But I wanted to tell you that because she gave God credit. She said, and, and this is going to come out with a kind of southern accent, not intentionally, but I can't read the words otherwise. Twant me, twant me, t'was the Lord. I always told him, I trusts to you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. Lead us not into the trial, but deliver us from evil. A few weeks ago, Glenn told us about a young man who was arguing with him online uh, and saying, God does not answer prayer. You can't prove to me that God answers prayer. That young man never met Harriet Tubman. Probably a good thing for him, because she would have taken a hickory switch to his backside. He never met George Mueller. And even if he had, we don't know whether he would have believed, because he never got the chance but he might get the chance to meet you or me. And we too can have stories to tell if we're engaged in the mission, if we're serving as the advanced brigade for the kingdom of God, if we're carrying out the good deeds that God has strategically placed beforehand in our path for us to do. Chesterton said, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and not tried. Well, let's prove him wrong. There's a choice to be made here, to seek our own comfort, honor, possessions, and see few answers to prayer. We won't even need them most of the time. 
or to seek God's kingdom, committed to doing the good deeds he's prepared and see many answers to prayer. I don't tell you, need to tell you which choice is more popular. But I will tell you which is more satisfying. If you've come over to Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, then you have been called to join the brigade. When you got baptized, that's what you were saying to everybody. You joined the brigade. You belong to him. You belong to us. We're in this together. Adventure lies before you. Answers to prayer will pile up around you, and you will be satisfied. And more importantly, so will your commander. All right, let's pray. God, none of us is satisfied to just live an ordinary life. And if you've given us your spirit, we're even less satisfied with that. And yet most of the time, Lord, we don't know what to do about it. Would you show us? Would you put a fire in our belly that won't go out? Would you make Lockwood a remarkable place where answers to prayer are happening all the time in people's lives? A place that even the powers of darkness recognizes a kingdom outpost. I ask you to do this in the name of the commander, in the name of Jesus. Amen.